This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're standing strong in episode number 132. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am here with Phoenix this week, who's very much awake right now, so you might hear him a little bit, or he might get bounced to sleep as we bounce on the birth ball for this episode. What we are going to talk about today is a topic that, uh, it's actually a heart topic for me. It's a really emotional topic for me. It's a really big deal, and You may be interested in it, too, if you read the title of the podcast episode, which is, Should We Take Women Out of Birth? Uh, This is a really, really huge topic, and it has to do a lot with language and semantics, but words are powerful. Perhaps the pen is mightier than the sword, and I feel like on this topic... It's a place where words are very powerful, and it's talking about editing the language of birth to make it gender neutral, and should we do that or not? Now, this is a huge topic, and there are a lot of people who feel very opinionated on it. I'm going to share my opinion. Uh, I've also had somebody tell me that she thought it would be really interesting to do kind of an opposing viewpoints type thing. Uh, basically, where I host on the podcast, somebody from, from both sides of this, and I'm willing to do that, but I wanted to share my opinion because even if I just hostess that, and I hope that it would be an amicable, maybe not amicable, but well, I guess I do hope it would be amicable. You know, it would be it would be mature people sitting down and talking about two sides of a viewpoint and presenting their views, uh, and everybody could listen and kind of draw from that, and just me there to offer thoughts. I also feel like that everybody should know that obviously, obviously I have a bias. Everybody has a bias, and anybody who tells you that they're unbiased on anything is full of it, because <laughs> because everybody has a bias. Uh, But yeah, so I'm thinking about doing kind of that more um, opposing viewpoints, maybe a roundtable type discussion. I don't want to have too much going on, so it would probably be just a couple people. But I wanted to share my thoughts on it so that you know how I feel. Uh, And I also wanted to share that this issue, you know, this issue hits very close to home for me. Not in my birth work, but actually in my family. So it's something that I've spent a lot of time thinking a lot about because there are people that I love very much for whom this would be a somewhat pertinent topic or for whom they might have a pretty strong opinion on it that may or may may not be different from my opinion because it hasn't come up in family conversations. But it is something that's pretty, you know, it's pretty close to my heart overall and it's something I've spent a lot of time pondering. Uh, But I also don't feel like I can just quietly take what might be considered a politically correct side on it. So first, before we really launch into everything and I give you my thoughts, we need to talk about why this has come up. And, you know, why Why would anyone even suggest taking women out of birth? And you're like, Kristen, exactly what do you mean by that? So I want to talk about that. A major organization, which is MANA, the Midwives Association of North America, which is not international, but it's very big. 
at least here, they've edited their documents to take out references to pregnant woman or pregnant women to a female, etc. cetera, uh, in order to make the documentation neutral. So they want to make it gender neutral for a biological female who might identify as something else other than a female. In actuality, the, the documentation change, this language change, was made a couple of years ago. But it this issue came to a head just recently uh, because a pretty devastating schism formed at MANA's 2017 conference. So if you're listening in the future, um, we're in early December of 2017. And a big schism happened at the, at the conference. Basically... What happened was that midwives who wanted to dialogue about this language change, uh, were they were pretty much shut down, and in some cases even pulled off, pulled off of off stage, pulled away from the mic, um, and they had hate speech hurled at them. Basically, anybody who questioned the language change in the Mana documents was called transphobic and all kinds of other things. Uh, just it was actually really nasty it was it was really messy i wasn't there in person but you can find firsthand reports pretty much everywhere on the internet um and i guess you know it, it seems like well one midwife organization had a complete breakdown over this issue but i think that you know this was this is a really big organization that has stood strong for an entire group of midwives for a long time. And we really need to look and say, you know, if this issue can come up and be so divisive, uh, what's going on? And and really, I guess to me, this is a huge issue. And for any organization that prides itself on standing firm for women's rights to have, you know, the hubris to edit women out of birth without consulting the women they serve, well, I mean... I guess it's just audacious to me. Uh, you, you know, you just, you, you don't do that. So I, I want to talk about this. And I want to bring this to women, to women at large. This isn't something that should just be debated amongst a group of midwives. This is something that impacts me. It impacts you. It impacts birthing women everywhere. Uh, and and for women who may be served by an organization you know, you need to know that the organization has edited you out. So, okay, really before we need to, before we jump into things, we need to talk a minute about the transgender population because that's the other side of this policy. And also, I, I, I did take a look. What do other organizations say? Now, I'll admit, I didn't look internationally. So um, I didn't look at ARCOG or the Royal College of Midwives documents uh, or anything else. So I was just looking at the United States documents. But the American College of Nurse Midwives agrees that these individuals should be treated with respectful and appropriate care by a CNM. They have a policy document on it, and they also say that a CNM should refer uh, to another CNM if she feels like she needs to do that. I don't see that ACNM has, that's the, that's the American College of Nurse Midwives, has edited their documents to remove references to women, um, or to she, or to woman, or to mother. Uh, ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, also feels that these individuals need compassionate, respectful, and appropriate care. In fact, they have documents that call for that specifically. 
Um, but they also don't seem to have edited their documents to to remove reference to women or remove reference to a particular gender. Both organizations advocate for the respectful care of biological women who identify as something other than their assigned birth sex, which I think is a good thing, okay? So I feel like those policies seem to be in line with what we need to see. But moving on, let's look at let's look at some statistics because that's something that that people were asking me about and I took the time to look it up because I didn't know at first. So I did know this, about 4 million women give birth in the United States each year. Now, we actually don't really know how many transgender, we would say men, or individuals who identify as something other than a woman, there are giving birth in the United States. We do know, so I found a study that, that uh, it, well, it wasn't really a study. It was more of like a survey and a call for compassionate care that took a look at uh, the number of transgender individuals who may be giving birth. And that study cited a statistic for the overall population, which was 0.3 to 0.5% of the overall population is transgender. So we could say, you know, if we went with the 0.5% figure, I would say that, you know, we'd look at half of that because only half of them are going to be able to give birth because only about, you know, I'm, lo I'm looking at it's about a rough 50-50 rough divide between those born female and male at birth. So only half of them, this only pertains to half of them because as of right now, only the half of them that were born with a uterus could be part of the birthing population. So 0.25% of the birthing population, which is a quarter of a percent. One survey, I did find a survey where they surveyed um, trans individuals who had given birth, and there were 46 respondents to the survey. So that's a pretty small number. But, you know, we could say that they're out there. There may not be many, but we know that they are out there. Some of them have made headlines, you probably remember. But even 0.25%, so even a quarter of a percent of you know, those who give birth every year, could that could end up being a large group of biological females who identify as something other than female and seek care in the birth world. I also found a directory, which was transbirth.com. It's like a directory of providers who are friendly to helping these families. So, you know, what I'm going to say is that these people are out there, and I do feel like they deserve respectful care, and they deserve respectful care with a provider whom they feel comfortable with and who feels comfortable with them and giving them what they need. Uh, it's just like, I guess I feel that, you know, in the birth world, we meet a lot of different families, and there are some families that you, you know, you feel more in tune with than others, and there's some families that you are like, you know, you need to go to her, this other midwife, because I know that you and she would really connect well. So I feel like that would be the same, this would be the same type of thing, is that it's not that every care provider should try and be perfect for every situation, because that's not the case. Like if you had a conservative midwife um, who you know, your beliefs and hers just didn't jive very well. Well, she might be a great midwife for you. Like, I think the midwife that I'm apprenticing with is pretty good at being a great midwife for everybody. 
but there are some people that that just may not feel comfortable with her. I know an issue I myself have seen is some midwives don't really approve of large families and grand multiples, which is what I am and what I have. And so I want to use a midwife who's comfortable serving a woman who's choosing to have a large family. So this would be a similar issue to me. One of the things that I don't understand is people who insist upon being upset when a given per now if every provider wasn't the right provider with you for you obviously there's a problem but as you know as we can see with something like this uh this birth directory online is that there are providers who are the right providers for these individuals so they're out there and like i can think about all the students that i know all the midwives that i know and i can name a whole bunch off the top of my head that would be totally happy to help a family that wasn't you know what you would consider a traditional family. So I don't think the problem is that, that, that there are not providers out there. But I think that finding the right provider could possibly be more difficult. Finding a great birth provider is difficult, period. But, um, but I think, you know, these individuals, they need to have respectful care. And I'm not, I'm not really going to say anything else about transgender issues at large because I know this is a huge topic. Like I said, it hits close to home in my family. And it's something that's really complex for many people. Many people have a lot of conflicting emotions about it. So I'm not talking about broad policy. I'm not talking about bathroom rights or anything else in this podcast. This podcast is to discuss a very narrow issue that I think has really, really valid concerns about neutralizing it. What we're talking about is taking women out of birth. And we're talking about, is that an okay thing to do? That's the question that we're asking. So, okay, there's no way that I can be unbiased about this. I think if you're listening to this, you've already detected my bias. So let me just talk about that for a little bit. I think that removing woman, mother, women, she from birth, trying to androgenize birth, I think it is literally done to take power away from women. I, I, I mean, I understand that to an individual person, that person may not think I'm doing this to take power away from women. And it may sound like, okay, Kristen's like gone off the deep end. She's having a wacko conspiracy theory. But I honestly feel like there is probably an agenda somewhere. And maybe the transgender population is simply a tool in that agenda. Because I feel like this agenda is way bigger than just that group of people. But there is an agenda to take the power out of birth. That agenda has been a machine in force for a long time. And women have stood up and fought it, stood up to take back birth, like the, you know, like the name of the podcast for my friend Marin and Indie Birth, Marin and Margot taking back birth. You know, women have stood up to take this back and have fought and have fought and have fought. And, and I see a problem with everybody just laying down and saying, okay, in two years, we're going to erase all that work by erasing the fact that this is something about women, because this is totally, totally about women. Neutering birth, neutralizing birth, literally takes power away from women. Now, I am no feminist at all. But again, women have been walked all over throughout most of history. And the history of birth it's really shameful, especially if we look at it. I mean, I think when we look in the in the deeper past, 
We see that birth had a lot of problems because women didn't have access to sanitation. They didn't have access to good nutrition. The the wise women tried the best that they could. If you read the biographies of the older midwives, the the grand midwives out there, the granny midwives, the the immigrant midwives, those women who had this knowledge and we have some surviving writings from midwives from Europe and um, from from the rural United States and everything before the midwifery profession was stamped out and had to try and research. And we know that those women often did amazing things with what they had. There was a midwife uh, during the Holocaust who was able to save to save babies in concentration camps, which is just incredible. It's incredible to look at what these women did with what they had. But they still didn't know a lot, and we still lost mothers and babies simply because there wasn't access to good sanitation. There wasn't access to good nutrition. We didn't understand the physiology of pregnancy and everything that we do now. And midwives just didn't have all the skill set that they have today that makes birth so much safer. So in that in that time, in that time, birth was... You know, it was something that I don't feel like it was necessarily oppressive to women, but it was just there was so much that wasn't there that made birth often dangerous for women and that could have made it a disempowering experience. Though I feel especially in cultures where women were guided and had other women and uh, and women were celebrated, birth was was probably often an empowering experience. I can remember reading in college, I had to do, I, I took an anthropology course and I had to read a book and the book that I read, I can't remember the name of the book now. I could probably find it if I look it up and try and put it in the show notes. But, and I know that I'm not going to say this right, but it was about a woman from the Kung tribe in Africa. And she, she talked about just going out outside of the village and birthing her baby and coming back. And then there was also um, The Good Earth by Pearl S. Buck. That book has a relatively empowering birth scenes where, the, you know, she's a peasant woman, but she just gives birth to her sons in the field and then picks them up and nurses them. It's a really powerful image, actually. She gives birth to them and then she picks them up and nurses them. And as she nurses the baby, she continues working in the field, which I don't recommend for anybody. But she continues nursing in the field. And and you're seeing the point of view that you're seeing it from is her husband's. And he says he sees her and she's nursing this son that she's just birthed for him. And he's, you know, he's drinking milk and, and getting that nourishment while her other breast is just squirting milk into the earth beside her, just basically fertilizing the earth while she's growing this baby. Again, it's a very powerful image. So I believe that in some cultures, that kind of birth did exist. That kind of birth was powerful. And we also know from studies like Dr. Weston A. Price's studies that many cultures tried to take special care of pregnant women nutritionally and things. They had some wisdom. But when we look at birth, once doctors began to rise and come to power, and especially once doctors with medications, and I don't say that medications are bad. I don't say that all pain medications are bad. Sometimes what a mom really does need is to go to the hospital, get an epidural, and be able to nap, and then she has a great vaginal birth. I've seen that happen with clients in the practice that I'm a student in. But most women can birth their babies without medications. But what I'm saying is that when doctors came along and they had medications to make promises to women and they really became interested and wanted to get into the birthing room, there was a lot of oppression, a lot of pretty bad oppression. And it happened to women 
all over the world. It happened to women of every race, color, and creed. Women were mistreated. Women were sedated. Women were knocked out, essentially, had their babies dragged out of them. I, I, I mean, I know all this. I don't know how much any of you listening have researched, truly researched, the history of birth and the history of modern medicalized birth. But it's truly a heinous thing to look at. And it's it's truly a, a tearing away of power from, from mothers and from their babies, from women. So... You know, the history of birth is really shameful. And women have really had to fight to come back from that. And I feel like in the past several decades, women really have fought for that. And and see, the, the honestly, what I believe is that the power that women have during birth uh, is overwhelmingly awesome. It is awe-inspiring. I mean, it's like Wonder Woman, y'all. We watched Gal Gadot's performance in Wonder Woman, the new Wonder Woman movie, and wow, <laughs> that was a great movie. I'm like, I'm definitely not a superhero film person, you know, my, Scott and the kids start watching a superhero film and I, I go to bed, but that was a fabulous movie. If you haven't seen it, you really, really need to see it. The performance, her performance was just spectacular. Um, think of, think about Wonder Woman in the new movie. Again, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Or get it from Netflix or whatever. But she, Wonder Woman embodied feminine power in such a beautiful way. I mean, the, the and maybe it's because it was directed by a woman. But she, you know, she was strong. She was powerful. She was awesome. You know, she had all the moves, all the special effects and everything, but she still, she still embodied this motherly energy to her. This, this almost blind dedication to what she saw as her task, what she saw basically as her child, which was to, to bring peace to the world, which was to defeat war, to defeat evil and to bring peace. And this kind of like mama bear instinct literally rippled off of her. And then there was one scene, probably my favorite scene in the movie, where she sees a baby and she's like, oh, baby! And she starts to run over and then, you know, her pilot pulls her away. But, you know, that those that that feminine was just so there. So there in her. Um, even while she was this awesome, awesome, powerful, powerful person. You know, birthing women are like Wonder Woman. One of my most popular emails ever is an email about power. It's called Then She Roared. And that's the title of the email. That's the subject line. And the email got such a massive response that I actually added it in so that so that brand new subscribers to naturalbirthandbabycare.com, which if you are not, um, you can go to trustbirth101.com, trustbirth101.com to sign up and you will get this email. But the email is titled, Then She Roared. And I wrote it after a birth that I attended almost a year ago now. Uh, and I was, I was the first person there, which made it kind of a nice connection um, to the birthing mom. But, but this was even after everybody was there. The mom was in the birth hub and just, I had, I, I was behind her, so she had her back to me, and I was, like, trying to manage a million different things at once, but I was still in awe of this mom, because she was, she was kneeling in the birth tub, kind of, but, but kind of up on her knees, so she was really upright, and I could see, like, 
I could see the intensity of the work that she was doing in her body. Like just see that slight trembling of her muscles that lets you know how tight she was holding on to her husband to the side of the birth tub. Just how, you know, just how much work she was doing and the, the incredible power that was coming through her body. And like when I was looking at her in this moment, if I had had one of those cameras that can take a picture of the energy in people, I would have been able to see, I could feel the waves of, of raw power rippling off of her. It was, it was an awe-inspiring moment. It was one of those moments that makes you want to get down on your knees. The power, the just the presence. It was incredible. And this mom roared her baby out. And it was. <laughs> it was a Wonder Woman battle cry. It was the one of the most beautiful experiences I have ever been allowed to be present for in my entire life. I've been to quite a number of births at this point, and that birth still stands out, though all births embody some level of that. And I am so privileged that I feel like I get to, you know, I, I have the privilege of being able to hold space when when women step into that power and birth their babies. It is it is the most soul gratifying work. The only thing that even comes close uh, is mothering my children. And mothering children is wonderful soul gratifying work. But if you want to see power like you are standing in front of Wonder Woman, holding the space at births is incredible. It's just power, that pure power. It almost leaves me speechless. And the thing is, is that even if you don't feel like Wonder Woman in the moment that you're giving birth, and many women will tell you they don't, even if there are interventions, other people probably think you look like Wonder Woman. Like if I told this mom that was the impression that I had at that moment in her birth, she'd probably be like, you know, I was scared. I didn't know, you know, I was just trying to handle things. But to me, you know, I could see that power. I could see that beauty. I could see that feminine power in her. So even if you don't feel like Wonder Woman in the moment, even if there are interventions, as you reflect back, as you know that you worked harder than you have ever worked, that you advocated for yourself, stood up for yourself, for your baby, that you called the shots, that you had the strength to even embark on this journey, there is no way you can walk forward from that experience without feeling some level of power. And that's scary. Powerful women are scary to society. That's why birthing women have been oppressed and suppressed. Think, think, think about the birth scenes that you th you've seen. Maybe you've been to a hospital where women are giving birth. Maybe you've seen Hollywood birth scenes. Are they anything like that? The woman looks like a patient. She doesn't look like Wonder Woman. She looks like a patient. Why are we suppressing Wonder Woman? Why are we chaining her down? Why are we sapping her strength? It's like Samson and cutting his hair off. You know, why are we doing that? Why has no Hollywood movie ever had a Wonder Woman style birth scene, y'all? My 16-year-old wants to start an indie film studio, which I think is great. But I guess the biggest thing that I hope is that she'll let me write a birth scene for one of her indie films. I would write a scene that would make every little girl all over the world go, 
I have that power too. And they don't even have to dress up like Wonder Woman because it's already there. Birthing power equals power. It means women who are strong enough to stand up and say, you can't mess with me. You can't mess with my baby. Think about all the things that women go through, all the abuse that many women have taken over time. If we had women who were coming through birth with power, with power, would they have the strength to stand up and say, I'm leaving, you can't do this to me? Would we have women who would be ready to rise from oppression, from poverty, from abuse and say, you know what? I have the power to overcome this. I honestly believe that that power is in every woman. And I honestly believe that a great birth experience can be the first taste that many women get from it. Again, <laughs> I, I'm not a feminist. I'm, I'm happy being a wife and a mom. If I did not feel called to serve mothers and babies, I would be totally happy to sit at home and have babies. <laughs> I, I mean, I've had a lot of babies already anyways. I'm happy barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. But I believe that women should be strong. I believe that women need to be strong. Mothering the next generation is hard work. You have to be strong. The power and confidence of a great birth help you to help you during those exhausting and, and somewhat difficult weeks that follow. I mean, Phoenix has kind of fallen asleep in my lap here. He's nine weeks old as I'm recording this. And it's, you know, the newborn period is wonderful. He is amazing and I love him so much. But it's also really difficult at times. And that that birth high and just, gosh, just knowing that I did that. That I walked through that. That my body grew him. That my body nurtures him still. That my body birthed him. That helps me to know at a soul level that I'm strong enough to mother him. And I know that not all kids come in that way. Some moms adopt. But still, there's a strength. There's a strength that mothers have. And I don't feel like we should take that away from women. I don't think that we should neutralize that. The power and confidence of a great birth help women. And women deserve to hold that power. That's where my problem with changing the language comes in. Because this is not about a trans guy who wants to use his uterus to have a baby. If he wants language changed to his preferred pronoun, my guess is that his care provider would be totally on board with that and would be happy to do that. It's a find and replace in the document. Then they print off something that uses this person's preferred pronouns and preferred terminology. This is not about that individual person. This is about women. Women who have been held down throughout history. Women who have been drugged out of and terrified out of their power. Have you ever heard of people waving the, wet, the dead baby flag? It happens, people. It happens. Women are drugged out and terrified out and belittled out. You can't handle labor, girl. You know, they're just told they can't do it. They're told they're not enough, that they've got to have somebody's help. They're oppressed and suppressed. Out of the power that they are born with. Okay? This is the thing. You cannot change biological reality. Guys, do not give birth. Women do. 
I am fine if a woman wants to be a man and still chooses to give birth. That's that person's choice. But ultimately what we are talking about is power. And we are talking about giving women the power that is rightfully theirs. My perspective is that I am not going to enter into the further oppression of birthing women by denying them the right to have birth be about them. I'm not going to participate in the further oppression of birthing women women by denying the right for you to have your birth be about you. I can remember a point early in labor with Galen, my fourth born, born kid. I looked at Scott. I honestly do not remember what he was doing, but I do remember the moment. He was basically being concerned with himself and his own convenience on whatever level. And I looked at him and I said, can this not be about you for a little while? You know, I'm in labor with the kid here. Can this not be about you? And that's the truth here. Birth is not a political platform. And, and that's a crux that we could, we could launch many, many, many other podcasts over birth being used as a political platform. Birth is not a political platform. Birth is not yet another plat- platform to crucify haters on. It's just not. Birth is in and of itself something sacred. And it is in and of itself part of a woman's power. For some women, it is the only power that they have. For some, it's the first thing that gives them the power to shake off being a victim and to stand strong for their child, for themselves. It gives you the power to stand up for yourself. I have helped literally thousands of students over the past 12 years, and I have sat in many, many, many birthing rooms watching women birth their babies and birth their power. I do not support stripping that away from them, period. I'm completely okay with compassionate, respectful care for all. But I am just not going to strip away years worth of work to create a better birthing world. Years of work by a few compassionate men but mostly by dedicated nurses, dedicated midwives, dedicated doulas, dedicated birth workers, and most importantly, dedicated mothers to create change. To work to give back the power of birth to our daughters and to literally deliver that power as a legacy for our granddaughters to pick up and run with. Surely, we should not quietly back down but should recognize that a woman has the right to say, I am powerful in an incredible way, a way that only a woman can be. And I embrace that power. Birth is power. And women are powerful. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is my opinion. I believe in compassionate care for all. But I believe that birth is something very very powerful. I believe that it is something very, very sacred. And I believe that it is something that we as women have the right to celebrate for us. So compassionate care while you also realize that birth and the legacy of birth is about so much greater than just the one. It is about the legacy that we leave to our daughters, to our granddaughters. It is about the power that we give to them. Just like the power that was given to little tiny Wonder Woman. 
And sometimes we look with fear and trembling at what somebody who holds that much power can do. But it is pretty awesome to watch her stride forward and step into it. And that is what I support. That is what I support. Okay, with that, y'all can let me know what you think about this. If you want to hear more from me, check it out at TrustBirth101.com. That's where you can sign up, TrustBirth101.com, to get my newsletter, get updates about the podcast, YouTube videos, new articles, and all that kind of good stuff. I would love to have you there. Again, let me know your comments. Give me me an upvote in iTunes. It really helps other people find the podcast. And with that, I hope that y'all have a blessed week, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.